glad you could join us tonight. We're going to be continuing on in the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 is where we will begin tonight if you want to turn to that. And while you're turning, just want to remind everybody that Sunday, July the 12th at 9 a.m. we are going to be meeting for a church service. Now we're going to be meeting outside because of the coronavirus and we're going to be meeting a little earlier than usual trying to beat the heat. Uh, we're not going to be having Sunday school or anything like that. Just a worship service July the 12th at 9 a.m. I hope you can come. Uh, we're going to try to practice social distancing, so try to keep your distance, not shake hands or hug. I know that's uh, something we want to do. We love each other. We'll be glad to see each other, uh, but just try to be safe. We don't want to take a chance of spreading any germs. We do ask that you wear a mask. If you would, if you have one, please bring it with you. If you do not have one, uh, we'll have some available that somebody has made, thank the Lord. And so I hope you can come and be part of this service on July the 12th at 9 a.m. We will be gathering more over the next couple of months. Uh, there will be more dates provided to you uh, as the time draws near. Uh, but put that on your calendar, and I hope to see you here Sunday. Let's pray, and then we'll dig into the text tonight. Father God, we come to you, and I thank you for being good to us. Dear Lord, we tend to focus on all the bad that goes on in the world and in our life, but God, there's a lot of good, and you are good to us, and we thank you for it, dear Lord, and I pray that you just would be good to us tonight as we read your word, that we would we would soak it in, dear Lord, that it would have an effect in our life, that it would speak to us, and God, I pray that you just be with me as I preach and teach, that you would hide me behind the cross, that everything I say tonight will bring glory to you, and I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people. Now, up to this point, Paul had written this letter to Titus, telling him, Look, I left you in Crete, on this island of Crete, because the people there need to hear the truth of the gospel. Now, there were a lot of false teachers in Crete, and Paul had left Titus there to to uh, bring up some elders and establish some elders and said, okay, you need to pick some men that are strong, that are trustworthy, uh, that, that are going to be able to be elders and leaders of these people in Crete so that the truth can get out. That's kind of what we saw in the first chapter. That's a real brief summary. I encourage you to go back and read it if you hadn't been following along. It's, uh, it's a very short read. won't take you long to catch up. Uh, in chapter 2, as we started chapter 2, uh, he began to speak, Titus did to, or Paul told Titus to speak to the men and women of Crete. Look, that the men needed to be a good example for the young men, that the women needed to be a good example for the young women, that the slaves needed to be obedient to their masters, that uh, pretty much all the people needed to be faithful servants of the Lord and needed to be good examples of the Lord's work, loving one another and being an example, of course, to the others who were around who would see those things. And that's kind of what we've seen up to this point uh, as he lists those groups, men, women, slaves, whoever pretty much is in Christ needs to be obedient to Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people. Now that's good, that's good stuff right there. That's pretty simple verse. Uh, it's not hard for us to really figure that out. For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people. That means that, that God does not pick favorites, that all people who will seek the Lord, 
all people who will come to the Lord can receive salvation through Jesus Christ. That is, we can be saved from our sin. We can be delivered from our sinfulness and the punishment that comes along with sinfulness, the consequences that come along with sinfulness. If we live in our sin and we die in our sin, then the consequences of our sin is death, a death that separates us from God for all of eternity. But thankfully, through Jesus Christ, we receive salvation. We are saved from the consequences of sin. Our sin is paid for by Jesus Christ, and we are saved through him. For the grace of God has appeared to all for salvation. Now, the grace of God is something we don't deserve. That's what grace is. That's something that you don't deserve. It's something that you can't earn. It's something that God gives to us because he loves us. He is gracious to us in giving his son for us and Jesus Christ dying for us. It is God's grace that saves us. God didn't do those things because we earn it or because we deserve it and because he said, boy, look at them. They're going to do a few good things and their good things are going to outweigh their bad things. Therefore, I'm going to be gracious to them. No, that's not what grace is. Grace is giving us what we do not deserve. And what we do not deserve is to be saved from our sins. We don't deserve it on anything that we have done, but we can be forgiven of our sins because of everything that Jesus Christ has done. We are not worthy, but Jesus is worthy. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are worthy in him. And that grace that God wants to give is available to all people. No matter where you live, no matter if you're rich or poor, uh, no matter if you're sick or, or, or healthy, uh, no matter what walk of life you come from, no matter what continent you live on, no matter what country you're from, no matter who you are, no matter what time in history you are from, God's grace is sufficient for all people. And God wants all to come to him. God wants all to repent and that none would perish. And we repent of our sins and we turn to Jesus Christ and we do not perish, but we are given everlasting life through Jesus Christ and the grace that comes through his life that was given on the cross. And that grace is available for all people. Praise the Lord for that. That's a great verse. Let's read on a little further. Verse 12, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. Now, before we come to God, we are godless. Our desires are not doing what God uh, wants us to do. Our desires are not to do God's will. Our desires are to do what we want to do, to do the things that the world says are good. They are sinful things. They are worldly lusts. Now, we don't realize that apart from God, but once we become Christians and we receive the grace of God through uh, Jesus Christ and we are saved, we are, uh, are, are children of God, well, we are no longer godless, but we are godly. We are God's children. And that's not to say that uh, a non-Christian can't do good things. We are all made in the image of God. Everybody is capable of doing some good. Uh, but when we are godless, that is, we are not of God, we are not seeking God, well, we don't care about doing what God wants us to do. When we come to God and become God's children, we care about doing every single thing that God wants us to do. Not just the things that we like, not just some of the things that are good things, but we want to do all of the things that are good things, that are godly things. We go from godless to godly when we receive the grace of God. 
We should no longer desire our worldly things that came from our godlessness, but we should desire better things that come through God. And so when we receive grace, it instructs us to deny godlessness and worldly lust, but it also, it says, instructs us to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way. Now, we are godly people once we receive the grace of God, and we should live like it. Now, sometimes even once we become Christians, we don't always live like Christians, and that is not okay. That is not a good thing. If we are God's people, we are expected to live in a godly way. We are expected to be righteous. We are not expected to live as godless people. When we see people in the world who have not received the grace of God, who are not followers of Jesus Christ, and they do wrong things and evil things, well, that is to be expected. They have not heard the truth. They have not seen the light. They do not know any better. But for those who have received grace and put their faith in Jesus Christ, we have become godly. Our eyes have been opened. We know a better way than what the world has to offer. And our life should reflect that. We should live a righteous and godly life and a sensible life, it says here. As Christians, our goal should not be to accumulate wealth and to look good in the world's eyes and all those things, but we should just be sensible. What do we need to live life? Our, our attitudes, our actions, our materialistic uh, desires and things that we have, I believe that all of those should be sensible. Now, when we look up sensible in the dictionary, we see uh, a couple of definitions for it. Uh, one is to be reasonable. As Christians, we need to be sensible. We need to be reasonable in the way that we deal with other people and the way that things come up. We don't need to overreact. We don't need to be foolish. We don't need to fly off the handle when people say things and do things we don't like. We need to be sensible. We need to make smart choices uh, that are going to be for the good of, of us, for the kingdom of God, for those around us. Uh, we need to do what is good and what is right. So being reasonable, that's one definition of being sensible. Another definition is to be practical. Well, there are many things in this world, some of which are things that we may desire, but are they practical? Are they practical in helping us to live our life? Are they practical for helping us to uh, build the kingdom of God? Well, some things that, 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 that we desire might not be very, uh, they may seem like good things, and maybe they're not that, that, that bad, but, but how practical are they? Well, here's a good example. And there's a show that I watch on TV, great show, entertained by it. It's these guys, and they make these massive trucks. I'm talking about huge. They stretch them out long. They'll have six doors on them stretched down the side, super long beds. They jack them up tall with big old tires. I mean, these are massive trucks. They look cool. Uh, they're able to go through all kind of mud and up mountains and over obstacles. And they're really cool trucks. But they're not very practical. They're not sensible. They get horrible gas mileage. They're noisy. They're so high you can't hardly get into them. They're so big you can't maneuver them around a small town. You couldn't maneuver into a parking place. While it's cool and while it's fun, it's not very practical. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't have any cool or fun things in our life? Well, I don't know. You'll have to let the Holy Spirit convict you about that and do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. I think sometimes as Christians, though, we probably need to be more sensible 
than we are. We fall into this trap of the American dream and feel that we are entitled, that we should have this, that, and the other, and this nice thing, and that nice thing, and, and, and that's the things that we deserve, and we should have those things. Well, maybe God wants us to have some of those things, or maybe he doesn't. Uh, again, you'll have to let the Holy Spirit be your guide and convict you on that and live in the way that you should. But here we have a good example and a good definition of how I think as Christians we should live. And that is we should be sensible. That may mean that there are times that we are tempted to overreact. We need to be a little more reasonable in our dealings with other people and things that come, come up in our life. It may mean that, look, there are things that we want and maybe even things we could afford or things we could have. But is that sensible? Is that really something that God wants me to have in my life? Is that something that's going to help me draw closer to the Lord? Is that something that's going to help me build the kingdom of God? And we need to be sensible in our actions. And that's a hard one. Boy, when I'm preaching this sermon tonight, even, even right now, I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about things. Okay, maybe I need to be a little more sensible in my life. And maybe the Lord uh, speaks to you through these words too. And these are the things that says that as Christians... Once we come to God, once we've received His grace, we shouldn't live godless, we shouldn't live uh, with our worldly lust, but instead we should be godly and we should be sensible. And we need to check our life and say, okay, am I living my life in a way that's meeting these things that Paul is saying is important? Let's read a little further. Now it says, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. Now let's not pass that last part up there. In the present age. We should live for the God for, for the Lord when? In the present age. Whenever we are living, we should live for the Lord. Now this advice is applicable to anybody who has ever read these verses, whether it was a thousand years ago or a thousand years from now. How should we live if we are living and we are God's children? We should live for the Lord. When? In the present age. Oftentimes we get caught up in the future. We look forward to the return of Jesus Christ, and we should. We look forward to be living uh, with him for all of eternity, and that's a good thing. That's where our hope is. We should get hope in that. We should look forward to that day, but we should not stop living in the day we're in. We should not look so forward to the future that we fail to, to do what God may be calling us to do today. Now, while we're in the present age, we need to be living as God's children. We need to be doing God's work. How long is the present age going to last? Well, none of us knows. Uh, our present age could end tonight. We could die in our sleep, and that could be the end of our present age. And praise the Lord, if we're in Jesus Christ, the next age we will be with him. But if you wake up tomorrow, then you're still in the present age here in this world. And so we must live as God's children while we are in this world. We can't look at the world and say, oh, the world uh, is a bad place and there are lots of bad things that's going on. So I'm just going to get in a bunker and I'm going to hide out and I'm going to wait because surely the Lord's going to return soon. Well, maybe he will and maybe he won't. I don't know when the Lord is coming back. He could come back tomorrow or he could come back in a million years. So we can't just uh, live our life in hiding. We can't just live our life in fear. We can't live our life saying, boy, the world is a bad place and things are difficult. What am I going to do? 
Well, we do wait for the Lord, and we wait patiently for the Lord, and we wait expectantly to the Lord, for the Lord. But while we wait, we must be doing the Lord's work. We must be serving the Lord. We don't give up. We live our daily lives. We do what we can. We try to be a light for the world. We try to love others. We try to continue to love the Lord and not get discouraged to know that God is with us, that God will strengthen us. And while we are in this present age, we need to be living a sensible, righteous, and godly life for as long as we are in this present age. No matter how good things are or no matter how bad things are, God has placed his people wherever he has placed them in the time he has placed them for whatever reason he has chosen. Now, God knew that you were going to be where you are right now at this time in history. You may be watching this video a hundred years from now. Whoever watches this, whenever they watch it, God has put you where you are at this time. This reminds me of a story from the book of, of Esther. Uh, the Jewish people were, 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 were attempted to be killed by Haman. Esther had come onto the scene. She was a Jewish girl. The king needed a new queen. I'm really rushing through the story here. This is the, this is the brief version, but uh, just, just, just you can read it yourself. I would encourage you to do so. The king needed a new queen. Esther was a, a, a Jewish girl. She ended up being the king. Haman, the bad guy, who was a servant of the king, wanted to kill all the Jews. Esther's cousin Mordecai had told her, he said, look, you're in a position of power. You're there with the king. You've been placed in this position. And he says, who knows? Maybe you have been put here for such a time as this. You need to use the power you have and the time you have it because God has put you here for such a time as this. Now, Esther spoke, spoke up to the king, uh, spoke up for the Jews. Long story short, the Jews were delivered and Haman was killed. But that part of the story where Mordecai told Esther, who knows, maybe you're here for such a time as this. Now, I think we need to think about that in our lives. Because we may see things that go on and we may say, boy, times are hard where I'm at right now or or, or, or or have been hard or are going to be hard in the future. And we may say, boy, I wish I wasn't living at this time and place. But, but maybe we should not say that. Maybe we should say, thank you, God, for putting me here in this time and place. Because maybe, just maybe for such time as this, God wants to use you. Maybe God has placed you right here at this point in time in history because he knows that you can have an impact for his kingdom, that you can have the best impact of anybody maybe that's ever walked the earth in the area that you're in with the people you're around, and God knew that you could have an impact for him, and for such a time as this, you are where you are when you are because God can use you right here and right now. And so as long as we're in the present age, we must live a sensible, righteous, and godly life. We must live for the Lord because he has put us here now. And if where we are is now, then this is when we need to serve. We need to serve here and we need to serve now. Is it always going to be easy? No, it's not. But if God has, has placed us here at this time, God is going to be with us at this time. And that's not true for us. That's true for every single follower of God throughout all of the history of the world and all uh, the time that will pass until he returns. That is going to be true. God is going to be with his people. And I want to encourage you and let you know that he is with you right here and right now. And you may be where you are for such a time as this. Let's read a little further. Verse 13. 
while we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we just talked about that. We're here in the present age. We live for God in the present age while we wait. We wait for the blessed hope that comes through Jesus Christ. We wait for the day that we will go to a place where there will be no more sin, where there will be no more heartache, where there will be no more sorrow. We long for that place where love will rule the day, where God's presence will be there, and the joy uh, and, and the pleasure that will come from being in the uh, presence of the Lord. What a glorious day that is, and we look for that day, and we hope for that day. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have something to hope for. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, that is not going to be a good day for you. But I hope you find grace today. I hope you do just what Paul was talking about, that you turn from your godlessness, but you turn to God and you experience that grace that comes only through Jesus Christ. Let's read a little further. Verse 13. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Now, real brief description of what Jesus did here. What did he do? He gave himself for us. He died on a cross for us so that we could be redeemed, so that he could redeem us. To redeem something means you have to pay for it. You have to pay a price from it for it, that, that somebody else is in possession of it. And the way to get uh, something from someone else is you have to pay the price for it. Now, we were under sin. We were under the control of sin. Uh, we were under the consequences of sin. We were doomed because of our sin. And a price had to be paid. A price had to be paid so that we could be forgiven of our sin. And Jesus Christ paid that price by giving his life on a cross. He redeemed us. He paid for our sins so that we wouldn't have to. He gave his life so we wouldn't have to. He lived a perfect life because he knew we couldn't. And because Jesus did those things, because he gave his life, he paid the price that was required of all of us, a price that we could not pay, a price of perfection. Jesus Christ was that perfection, and he paid that price so that you and I could be forgiven. He redeemed us. He paid for us. And there's coming a day that he's coming to pick us up. If you're high tech and you use your smartphone and you shop with it nowadays, uh, you may know that if you go to somewhere like Walmart, for instance, where you can put your order on your phone, you can click your order, and a few minutes later you'll get that email that says, your order is ready for pickup. I love to get that email when it's something I want. I'm excited about it. The order's ready for pickup. You go in the store, you go to the little booth, and you scan your phone in or you punch your order number in, and it says, boop. Here's your item, and it tells you where to look, and there's a, there's a wall full of, full of lockers there, and one of the locker doors opens up, and lo and behold, there's your item. It's been placed there. It's been waiting for you. You've already purchased it. You've already paid for it, and you finally come, and you finally recovered it. And that's kind of what it's going to be like for us in Jesus Christ. We were, we were uh, under the burden and, and, the, and, the, and the consequences of our sin, and Jesus paid the price for us, and we are no longer under sin, but we are under Jesus Christ. He has paid the price for us. We are His, and one day He is coming to get us. His order is ready for pickup. He knows it. He's excited about it. 
When we come to him, he is excited to know, look, he has paid the price. We have put our faith in him. We are his, and he knows that we are ready for pickup, and he's going to come. One day he's going to come, and he's going to pick up all of those he has paid the price for. But he wants to pick up as many as he can. He wants to have a whole load. He wants to have as many as he can possibly have. So when that day comes that he's ready to pick up his order and he comes to pick it up, he's going to have an order full of people who have put their faith and trust in him. And when you put your faith and trust in him, we long for that day because he has redeemed us. He has paid the price for us. He has given our, his life for us so that we may be forgiven. Let's read a little further. It says, eager to do good works. Now, we don't want to miss that there. When, when we are saved by Jesus Christ, we are saved to live for him and to do his good works, as we've already talked about, not to continue to live in our sinful and godless way because we are of God once we come to Jesus Christ. We are God's children. We are to live godly, and we are to do good works, works that are going to bring glory to God that are going to lead people to him, that are going to build his kingdom. That's what God calls us to do, Christian. Let's read verse 15. Say these things and encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Now, some of the things that Titus was going to have to say are tough things to have to say. Some of the things that the Bible says are tough things for us to hear. We don't like to hear everything the Bible has to say. We like the good stuff, but we don't like the stuff that really points out when there's sin in our life. But he says, look, Paul tells Timothy, look, say these things. These are the things that people need to hear. Say these things and encourage them. Now, we like that. We love the encouraging word. We love it when we come and we open God's Word and it encourages us. We love it when we're at church and the preacher preaches a sermon and it encourages us. And praise the Lord, we are to encourage one another and gain encouragement from God's Word. But not only does God's Word encourage, it also says that it rebukes. And so Paul says, look, say these things, uh, excuse me, say these things and encourage and rebuke with all authority. Paul says, look, you have authority. This authority comes to you from God. This is the word of God. These are godly things that I'm telling you. These are right things. You say these things. You say the encouraging things, and you say the rebuking things. People don't always want to hear them, but say them because you have the authority to do so. And we need to allow God's word to have authority in our life. We need to listen to it. And when it encourages us, we need to praise the Lord. And when it convicts us and rebukes us, we need to repent of our sin. We don't need to be angry at God's word. And we don't need to be angry at the preacher or the teacher when they say something and speak with the authority of Scripture because we don't like what it says. Well, we may not like what it says, but we better listen to what it says. And Paul tells Titus, he says, Look, say these things, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Because God's word is authoritative, and it should be the authority in our life that leads and guides us, that encourages and corrects us. We need to be in God's word and allow it to do those works in our life. Let no one, he says, disregard you. Now, sometimes when we live by God's word, or when we want to preach or teach God's word, people want to disregard us. Because just as I said sometimes as Christians, 
We may not want to hear the truth. Well, there is a world full of lost people who definitely do not want to hear the truth. Some of them are adamantly opposed to hearing the truth. They will fight and kick and scream and do everything they can to not hear the truth. They will disregard Christianity. They will disregard Jesus Christ because they don't want to hear the truth of God's Word. But Christian, let no one disregard you today. You speak the truth of God's Word. You live in the truth of God's Word. You know that it has authority. Let it have authority in your life so that you can preach and teach and live in a way that it will have authority in those around you. And some will hear the message and they will accept it and they will love it and they will receive the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And others will hear the message and they will disregard you, but they cannot disregard the Word of God. They cannot disregard it. They can reject it. They can deny that it's true. But don't let that stop you from doing God's work. Don't let those who want to disregard you and disregard the Word of God keep you from living for God and living for and by His Word. We live in this present age. Let us live for God in this present age. Let us seek to be sensible and righteous and godly for the kingdom of God, that God's will may be done that God's kingdom come, that, God will, that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. God, I thank you for these words, and I pray that you just would bless each one that's listening and hearing these words. I pray to God that you would let your Holy Spirit do a work in their heart. Help us to be men and women who are going to live for you and live godly lives and sensible lives, dear Lord, and not be afraid to read your word and let it work in our life. And God, let us be encouraged by it and corrected by it. And God, I pray that if there's one who has heard these words tonight and they've never received grace and never put their faith in Jesus, God, I pray that they realize that they can only receive grace, they can only receive forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And I pray that they put their faith in Him today, that they would go from ungodly to godly in this moment. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. To learn more about Jesus, call or text Pastor Shan at 601-657-0180 or email him at shanvn at me.com. You can also visit us at www.enterprisebaptist.church or follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ebcliberty. We hope that you have been blessed by today's service.